0: Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's show, ST Wong of Prime Value, the fund manager, is looking at the kind of stocks that you might want to accumulate now for later down the track. He says he basically has acquired a lot of uh, stocks during the sell off period, but at the moment he sort of is waiting to pounce. But he has actually identified a number of interesting companies that you might be interested in considering yourself. And then we've got Ron Shamgar, the fund manager from Tamman Asset Management. And he's interested in tech stocks, particularly EML payments, very, a big fan of this particular company, and a number of other ones. He explains what kind of tech companies he likes in particular. And then, Paul Rickard and myself, we look at the healthcare sector and, pu- and pinpoint the stocks that we think look like good value now, worth acquiring for the eventual comeback of the healthcare sector. That's the show. Let's kick off now. With ST Wong of Prime Value. Joining me now is ST Wong from the Prime Value Fund. Great to see you, ST. Morning, Pete. So, before I start talking about specific stocks, what's your feeling about how the overall market will? work out over 2022? At the moment, clearly, there's question marks and there's volatility. But what's your feeling across 2022?
1: Yeah, look, Peter, it's clear to us that, you know, looking to the rest of 2022, we're going to see slow economic growth, um, greater risk, uh, but we're still optimistic. And we think there's still a number of themes that um, is kind of going to come across the market, which is worth investing in. And whilst we acknowledge secularly high interest rates is going to impact returns on the market, uh, we think that the market is still, you know, somewhat more pos- pessimistic than than what it should be. And so, therefore, looking for opportunities to invest into twenty twenty two.
0: Yeah, yeah. My feeling is this, um, St. Um, And they rest on two things that really, to me, aren't aren't easy to guess as an economist or as a market player. One is I think if if the Ukraine war ends earlier than expected, the market will love that. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: And the second one is if China gets on top of its lockdown and pandemic issues quicker than expected and therefore we get more supply, out of China and less supply chain problems. Both of those two things should help bring inflation down and even hose down the, the expectations that interest rates will be rising so quickly that it will really KO tech stocks and, all, and the market generally.
1: Sure. Look, Pete, as, as you know, what we're going through at the moment where inflation is concerned is, as you know, as an economist, uh, the base effect, right? We're cycling very low inflation numbers. Uh, in the previous 12 months, and that will continue into the June quarter. Uh, Once we get past the June quarter, we'll see a normalization to some extent of the base effect where the inflation numbers or how it's calculated is concerned. So really, from that perspective, the market should be looking through into, I guess, in in a softening on the inflation numbers, on the headline numbers per se. Mm. What I'd add to that. Pete um, uh, and I agree with what you said. Uh, so far, where China is concerned, is there really remains a growth cushion in the U.S. Um, and especially as Northern Hemisphere summer approaches, we should see an even greater normalization of, you know, a number of you know day-to-day activities, um, we should see uh, economic activity pick up uh, to the extent. I think the, the point that the market is kind of ignoring at this point, and kind of forgotten about the fact is that the consumer drives the US economy, largely mm. 60% of US economy. And that part of the economy, the consumer is in a really, really strong position, the wages are going up. Um, the household balance sheet is uh, in an absolute strong position. Mm. I think the market is uh, failing to recognize that there is a base effect coming through on how inflation is calculated. Yep. Besides cycling through a base effect coming through and we will see that into the June quarter, but once you get past June quarter, we should see an easing of headline inflation number uh, from how the inflation rate is being calculated. The other point that the market is ignoring and failing to to acknowledge is really um, the strength of the US consumer. There clearly remains a growth cushion in the US and with the Northern Hemisphere summer approaching we should see a resumption of many elements of you know normal day-to-day activities mm. you know the shift from goods to services that will kick the u.s economy along um, as summer approaches what we're thinking from a consumer perspective and is a key driver of the u.s economy is that personal incomes in the u.s are at record highs and as has really improved even over above where pre-COVID uh, levels are concerned. And the household balance sheet is absolutely in an excellent excellent position. So the ability of the US consumer to spend or to keep spending is actually really, really strong.
0: Mm. So, and that potentially underpins a stock market that could have a strong finish rolling into Christmas.
1: Yeah, I think so, Pete. You know, I think the, the money really follows corporate profits and to the extent corporate for profits continue to grow, um, then the market should follow suit in, in that sense.
0: Okay. Let, let's come back to what you're actually doing in the market now. Have there been any, any recent acquisitions to your fund?
1: Um, Pete, we haven't been doing a lot at this juncture. Um, the market had a good run in March, so we've been riding on the back of that. Uh, but clearly the pockets of value in the market um, you know, tech is potential. potentially an area. we might get into the uh, in next you know, three to six months. But we do recognize that, you know, we're, we're looking into slow economic growth into 2022, 2023. The risks are higher and the market is somewhat more challenged because of that. So as a result, when we're looking for stocks, uh, we're looking really uh, for three things uh, as we can set up the investment proposition, cash flows, quality, and pricing power. Um, and those are the areas we, we're looking to fish into, so to speak. And these are areas we're looking to invest into as, as prices have pulled back quite substantially in some of the areas we're looking into. Mm.
0: Give, give us some names of classic companies that fit those three bills. Mm.
1: Great, Pete. Uh, look, you, you know, with bond yields rising uh, tech the tech sector is obviously a uh, you know, a sector which we will we'll be considering. Um, the companies that sort of fit the criteria we're looking for, which is cash flows, uh, quality uh, companies such as REA and Zero fit into that perspective. We're probably uh, ca- still cautious on companies which are not making profits, just you know relying on revenue to to uh, support the share prices. So so these are sort of uh, companies where we think are going to be immune or less impacted if inflation do continue to be an issue for the market.
0: Mm. What's your position on mining companies? Because people keep asking me, well, you know, BHP and Rio and Fortescue have done well, um, but can they keep on, even if, say, for example, the Ukraine war ends and uh, energy and resource prices come off the boil, is is there still going to be enough sufficient global demand for these sorts of products, so their share prices will hold up?
1: I think you want to be pretty selective in the resource sector. Um, You know, if I pick energy, for example, all prices, you know, about 100 bucks. The key question, for example, is do we continue to buy stocks like Santos or Woodside? You know, I probably think that in the short term, there's probably somewhat of a bubble. Uh, where all prices concerned, as we discussed earlier, should there be a resolution to the Russian Ukraine situation, all price might pull back, but it absolutely makes a brilliant entry point into stocks such as Santos and Woodside, should that even occur? Mm. Because I think in the longer term, uh, the fact that um, large oil and gas companies haven't been investing in oil, uh, oil projects because of ESG concerns. It makes absolute sense to enter into stocks such, such as Woodside uh, and Santos because of the corporate structure that they do have. So you want to be quite selective in your entry points, but also on the sort of commodities that you're kind of looking into. Now, lithium, for example, has been the hottest commodity so far this year. I think lithium price been up about 80% um, so far this year. So you want to be quite selective as well as to the timing. Whilst we're quite positive on the lithium. Uh, outlook on the lithium sector in the longer term, uh, we do recognize that there's been a significant upshot in lithium prices. And you might want to wait for um, a pullback in lithium prices before considering some of the lithium stocks. The sort of lithium stocks that we do like are uh, lithium companies which are actually producing um, or uh, well on the way to producing um, lithium products. The likes of Mineral Resources or Altchem, for example are uh, probably sort of companies or resources plays that we're really into.
0: Great stuff, mate. Thanks for joining us. You have a great Easter. We'll talk to you in the future.
1: Thanks, Pete. Happy Easter.
0: Well, there's some M&A players on at the moment, and one guy who wants to talk about is Ron Shamgar from Taman Asset Management. Ron, thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, Peter, thank you for having me. All
0: right, now, before we get into some M&A activity, what's your feeling about what the stock market can do over the course of 2022? I have a feeling that eventually, if the Ukraine war gets settled in some shape or form and China comes out of lockdown, we start seeing more and more supply chain improvements, that the stock market could really like that and, and, and roll back. Is that too too optimistic? Do you think?
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, possibly. I think. I think really. Yeah. I know there's a, a lot of issues out of China with their lockdowns, and then you've got Ukraine, Russia. But I think still the main reason for the market being down this year, or, or quite volatile, uh, is is the inflationary concerns and and how much central banks will have to raise interest rates, and will they go? You know, will they sort of uh, you know, way too long and then they'll have to go too hard, too quick, which will means we'll have a, a quite a hard recession. Hmm. Uh, so, I think this is the biggest concern. And then we saw the inflation numbers overnight. Uh, it was probably sort of in line with, with expectations, but maybe a little bit better. Um, and the question is, you know, does it start to sort of come down from here? Have we seen peak inflation or does it get worse? So, hmm. th- that, that's the big question.
0: W- was this part of the reason why I link Ukraine and China lockdown supply side problems because if those two things work out in the optimistic way, it takes a lot of pressure off inflation, doesn't it? Oil prices fall in Australia, we've got the 22 cents a litre reduction for at least six months. So inflation will be, if inflation ends up being less worrying, then all the worries about interest rate rises being excessive, they could be peeled back and then People like you who live in brewed stocks, you'd be saying, you little beauty, wouldn't you? We're off to the races.
2: Yes, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think, you know, if those issues get resolved, then it would definitely help uh, with inflation. And um, so we'll have to, I guess, see what happens. Um, but, you know, I still think there's, um, there's opportunities in the market. And, you know, we're going to talk about M&A. But I yeah. think, um, you know, with, with the depressed valuations for some of these uh, stocks out there, Really good businesses that are growing i think you're going to see more and more mnas and we've seen this morning eml announced that they've been approached uh, by private equity
0: mm, yeah and EML is one of the companies that uh, uh, i've been a big fan of but I, I know they've had their problems but i think essentially they're a pretty good business but they've they've had some curveballs thrown at them from the the irish central bank and and all that sort of thing but uh it's interesting that private equity is sniffing around.
2: Yeah, definitely. Funnily enough, you know, if interest rates are going to go higher, EML actually makes more profit because uh, they benefit from a high interest rate environment mm. on the money that they hold. So it's actually positive for them.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but, yes, um, that would be interesting.
0: Have you ever held EML in your fund?
2: Yes, yes. We've been big supporters of EML for many years now. We hold it. Yeah. And um, and it's actually funnily enough, it's the top five most shorted stock on the ASX. Yeah, no, I that.
0: Yeah, but I can see the big smile on your face talking about uh, private equity sniffing around. Okay, let's go and look at uh, some some other companies. Uh, there's there's one involving Unity. Explain to my viewers what Unity does and, w- and who's sort of stalking them.
2: Yeah, sure. So look, Unity Group, really simple business. They're private fiber. Owner and operator. So really, the best way to explain them is their mini NBN. Mm. So it's essentially like owning a high-growth NBN. Basically, a duopoly competing against the NBN. They've got a 20% market share of all the private fiber household connections. There's about 1.4 million connections out there. They've got about 20% of that. And now they, we estimate that they currently are winning about 40% of all the tenders with the property developers versus the NBN. So they're winning a higher share of their current market share, which means more growth uh, in the future. Now, just to give you an idea, they'll make about $150 million of EBITDA uh, this year. Now, it's a very defensive, strategic, long-life annuity asset uh, that's actually Mm inflation-proof as well. So very coveted asset. Now, um it got a bid uh, from Morrison and Crow, uh, and Morrison, which is a New Zealand fund manager uh, with Brookfield together, initially at $4.50. Then they got another bid at $5 from a Macquarie bank consortium, which owns Vocus um, and Morrison and Co uh, matched that uh, bid at $5. So we have a bid at $5 for this business, Good. valuing Unity Group at about 22 times EV to EBITDA. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've seen some telco uh, mobile towers being sold recently at up to 29 times EBITDA and those are pretty much non-growth. So we think uh, there's a bit more upside here and I think you might start seeing some super funds emerge um, and look at uh, such an asset like Unity Group because they can hold that for 30 years for their super members and they can still get a really good return out of it. Yeah.
0: I think he was uh, kicked off by an ex-student of mine, Vaughan-Bowen, I think, wasn't he?
2: Yes, Mick Simmons and Vaughan-Bowen. So it's a great management team. You know, right. they've done this before with M2 and Vocus right. and it um, looks like they're going to do it again.
0: Yeah. yeah, well taught, mate, well taught. Let's go to Arden Leisure.
2: Yeah, so that's another interesting takeover play at the moment. So last week um, they got, a ta- they got a, actually a, a sale of their main asset in the US. So basically... Arden Leisure owns a uh, Dreamworld uh, theme park in the Gold Coast. Everyone knows that. And they own main events in the U.S., which is basically like a family entertainment venue chain, um, you know, with bowling alleys and so on. Now, a uh, main event was sold to one of their biggest competitors in the U.S. called David Buster for about $1.1 billion. Uh, now, there's a complicated ownership structure there, but just to simplify it, um, they're going to uh, end up with about 500 and 80 million dollars of net cash and dreamworld so they'll re- they'll return to investors a 90 cents or 430 mil and then they'll keep about 31 cents or 150 mil cash to support dreamworld they're looking to uh, redevelop some of the land into a resort and some of their sort of growth capex for the business so at a dollar 30 which is currently the the share price you're basically getting dreamworld at a 60 million dollars enterprise value and this is a business that pre-COVID and pre that accident that they've had uh, made $30 million uh, in EBITDA. So these assets can go for at least 10 times. So essentially, uh, you know, this uh, dream world could be worth a lot more, maybe up to $1.80 best case scenario uh, in terms of some of the parts. So it's another interesting play. I think if you can get it under dollar 30, I think it's not a bad play.
0: Yeah. So you're saying at this point in time, Arden Leisure looks like a buy.
2: Under thirty, I think the risk-reward is quite attractive.
0: Yeah, OK. Now, um, uh, Clearview, tell us about the Clearview story.
2: Yeah, sure. So, these ones are not under takeover yet, but we believe that they, they will be taken over soon. Now, Clearview is probably quite an imminent takeover deal. They're essentially the largest remaining uh, independent life insurer uh, in Australia. They've got about 7% market share. Now, the industry consolidated in the last few years, the banks basically exited and they all sold to the Japanese life insurers here. Now, uh, Crescent Private Equity, uh, they hold about 45 percent of Clearview and they've announced in October last year that they're exiting uh, and they uh, are doing a strategic review. And um, we believe uh, that this will finalize in the next few weeks and a takeover bid will emerge. Now, the current embedded value Um, of Clearview is about 97 cents. Now, embedded value is essentially the future cash flows of all the policies that Clearview uh, holds uh, discounted back to today. Uh, So if you just liquidated everything and you just collected the cash off these policies, uh, you would get 97 cents or potentially more. Uh, So the shares are trading at about 75 cents. So there's good upside there. And historically, transactions in this space have been done on 1.1 times that EV. So potentially, with a bit of luck, you can get a, over a dollar bid in the near term. Now the industry is back to um, a really good profitability. It had some issues in the past, but things are going well. And finally, enough rising interest rates again, they add to their profits because they hold uh, a float of those premiums and they invest that. So every one percent interest rate uh, adds about ten to fifteen percent to their profit. So we think there's about thirty to forty percent upside here in the next uh, four to six weeks. And we expect this uh, strategic review to to finalise. Who
0: would be the kind of, uh, well, what kind of businesses do you think would be interested in picking up Clearview? Will it be a financial institution, a big insurer or private equity?
2: Yeah, we think, look, because it's only 7% market share, it's small enough not to cause any competition concerns. So Mm. there, there are other Japanese life insurers in the market they could just still acquire it. And it's sort of uh, strategic enough for someone to enter the sector at the perfect time. Uh, And then private equity could also buy it as well. And they could take a lot of cost out of the business. And so I think there's a few potential uh, outcomes there. And, um, you know, I guess we'll just have to uh, watch over the next few weeks and see what uh, comes out of this.
0: Okay, now finally, Sigma
2: Healthcare. Yeah, so that's a, a, another one that we like. It's a top two player in pharmacy and pharmaceutical distribution in Australia. Now their competitor, uh, Australian uh, Pharmaceutical Industries, which owns PriceLine, that was just acquired by West Farmers, and after quite a, a takeover battle with Woolies. Uh, now Sigma has actually spent in the last four years about three hundred and fifty million dollars in capex on building the latest uh, distribution center network in Australia, which will give them significant savings and and profits in the next few years. Now, that capex has essentially come to an end, uh, so they should spit out a lot of free cash in the next few years. Now, they recently did have issues with implementing a new ERP system, and it always causes problems for companies. In fact, API had the same issue a, a few years ago when they did that, but that should sort itself out, which is part of the reason why the share price is depressed. But this is a business that should be making uh, in about a year or so, uh, close to 100 million dollars in EBITDA, and uh, now if you look at API, that was bought on about eight and a half times EBITDA, and which will value Sigma at around 75 cents, which compares to 48 cents today. Now we think that either West Farmers uh, will bid for it. Uh, you know, they said that uh, API is just the first acquisition, uh, you know, to build up this um, uh, health and uh, and beauty. A, a division that they want. We could see Woolies come back and, and have a go. And then what's interesting, there's another play in the market uh, called DHL. They're a German listed uh, huge um, uh, you know, distribution business. Now they won the chemist warehouse contract off Sigma a year ago. Wow. They couldn't service it. They had to literally give it back to Sigma mm. because they couldn't service it profitably. This shows you the sort of competitive mode in the distribution network that Sigma has. And I think the Germans are quite proud people and I wouldn't be surprised if they buy Sigma just because of that fact. So I think it's an interesting one.
0: It's the first time I've anyone heard anyone uh, used Pride as a, as a reason for investing, but I'm, I'm happy to run with it. Happy to run with it, Ron. <laughs> Before we wrap up, mate, um, you mentioned EML earlier. Payments companies have really copped it. They've copped it basically twofold. One, because they're tech companies and B, because they're in the payment space. You look at the list of short sellers um, and I think EML, uh, Tyro, Zip, they're all on the, the short list. Do you think that the market has overreacted in marking those sorts of companies down and eventually when tech Is a re-rotation back into tech, that these payment companies also will get an uplift to a more acceptable price as opposed to the current prices?
2: Yeah, look, I I think yes and no. So there's no doubt that just valuation multiples have come down in the entire technology, payments, whatever sector, so that's one factor. But I think, you know, the ASX investors, I don't think they really understand payments businesses. So EML is a true payments business mm. and there's not many like it uh, on the ASX. And, you know, yes, it had some issues, but those are, uh, uh, you know, behind it. And like I keep saying, every 1% interest rate rise around the world adds at least $50 million to EML's bottom line. There's not many companies that can say that. So they're actually a beneficiary, but the market doesn't understand it yet. Now, the buy now, pay later companies like the Zips and the AfterPays of the world, they're not payments companies. They are short-term consumer lenders, and they need payment companies like EML or Makeda to provide them with issuing uh, uh, cards capability and so on. Now, they are making a lot of losses, and now we've seen AfterPay come out, well, Block, its parent come out yesterday, you know, AfterPay making $300 million loss in the last six months, Zip making losses, bad debts are rising, And with the interest rates uh, the cost of debt going up, they'll have further issues as well. So I think those businesses have been sold down, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I guess, uh, probably correctly. And I I think they will struggle. But there are other companies out there, like EML, and a few other ones that are profitable and should do quite well, and they should re-rate over time.
0: Okay. Thanks for joining us, mate. Talk to you in a few um, months' time. Thanks, Peter. That's Ron Shamgar of Taman Asset Management. And today we want to focus on a sector that's really struggled in recent times, but has been historically a very good sector for investors, namely healthcare. Paul, let's just kick off with uh, this table, which actually shows you how important the healthcare sector is and its performance of late.
3: Yeah, these are the uh, 11 industry sectors on the ASXP and you can see that healthcare uh, makes up about uh, just under 10% of the sector, 9.1%. So it's the third largest sector, mm-hmm. but it's been doing a pretty tough this year. It's down 10.1% this calendar year, up in March, but so are all sectors. Uh, it was also to it's pretty tough last year. Now leading up to uh, 2021, it's been one of the best performing sectors over the last decade, but certainly Over the last uh, 15 to 18 months, healthcare perhaps has come off the boil a little bit. And I guess part of the reason there, Peter, is because of uh, rising bond rates. It's sort of been lumped into a bit with uh, information technology.
0: Yeah. And so, Paul, on screen now, we have one of the best performing companies, namely CSL, over the last five years. What do you think this chart tells anyone who's looking at CSL? Well, look, it's been a great
3: performing company over a number of decades. In fact, uh, CSL shareholders uh, effectively paid the, the equivalent of, uh, of about 67 cents when they first bought their shares. They're now mm-hmm. about 260. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a phenomenal performance. But I guess what it does tell you, Peter, is a couple of peaks. Um, we had the big run up to 2019, uh, where CSL became Australia's largest company. But since the uh, you know the recovery of, from COVID-19, it's by and large sort of, just sort of kept pace, Peter, and uh, been trading between about $255 and about $300. But uh, I think you can see from that chart that
0: uh, typically, you know, dips in CSL uh, have have been pretty well supported. Yeah, Uh, and I guess it's also fair to point out that the coronavirus has meant that government regulations and interference haven't really helped the bottom line of CSL.
3: Yeah, certainly CSL's been uh, taking on extra costs uh, and also you know, one of its big, biggest businesses Peter of course is in the production of blood plasma products. Well you have to collect the blood plasma and uh, you know during the lockdowns and so forth that made it a lot harder for CSL so uh, it's still able to grow its profits but certainly the last couple of years have been harder for it mm. but the market's also been looking elsewhere for perhaps the next wave of growth stocks.
0: Yeah. Now, the next um, company on screen is ResMed. It, it too has been a good performer over the last five years. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, Peter,
3: since it was under $10 and today it's sort of trading between about the, the low 30s and the high 30s. So uh, another great company, uh, the leader in the, in the sort of the sleep apnea market Uh, but uh, ResMed's done really well. Come off the boil a bit, but probably, you know, again, um, you know, priced to almost perfection in the environment of higher interest rates, some of our sort of global healthcare leaders uh, have pulled back.
0: Okay, so what are the positives out there for the healthcare sector in general? Well, I mentioned COVID, Peter,
3: and you've got to remember that uh, One of the impacts of COVID, of course, is it stopped a lot of elective surgery uh, and that reduced a lot of expenditure in the healthcare sector. So elective surgery has now recommenced. uh, And so that's good for a number of our healthcare companies. They also, most of them had to put in a a lot, as a lot of companies, they had to put in extra costs in terms of looking after, you know, preventative measures uh, to do with COVID and some of those cost pressures are easy longer term peter we've still got some very favorable uh, demographic trends so of course an aging population and it's not just the fact. pressure the population ages but as you as you age you actually need more healthcare services mm. so it actually increases demand and that's certainly the case in the in the western world but of course in the developing world you've got a growing middle class uh and they're availing themselves more and more to uh to healthcare services. So the, the, the demography is certainly for it. Uh, it's a sector that there's a lot of investment technology and that of course means, uh, you know, cost saving in, in terms of some of the treatments, but also as medical technologies get better, again, demand improves because we're able to do more uh, to keep people fitter and, uh, and help prolong their lifespan. And then the other sort of positive is that, uh, particularly the Australian companies, Look, they're well capitalised, they're global leaders, their balance sheets are strong uh, and they're well well positioned to, to grow.
0: Mm. Yeah, and also these kinds of companies invariably do, um, do, do struggle after you know, m- markets actually uh, give way to, to cyclical type companies, but they do eventually make a comeback, don't they, Paul?
3: Yeah, and then look, there is some uh, evidence to suggest that healthcare does better when the economy slows a bit. I don't think we're in that environment, Peter, but uh, mm. look, certainly, um, look, it's it's often considered to be a, a defensive sector. I think that's more characteristic of the US and the Australian healthcare sector, but uh, that perhaps means that when people are looking for growth, they turn elsewhere. But mm. I guess it's sort of one of those things, Peter, that uh, uh, it's, you know, we see the markets rotate through sectors Currently, healthcare is just a little bit out of fashion. So uh, uh, that's one of the reasons it's been struggling as well. Okay, let's go look at the negatives now. Well, I mentioned, particularly in the Australian market, because of our a lot of our healthcare companies are really focused on growth and do trade a pretty good multiples that reflect that sort of growth premium. Now, of course, we know that just as higher bond rates or higher bond yields have impacted technology companies, they've also impacted... Uh, you valuations for healthcare companies. So if bond rates go higher, that's a potentially a negative for the sector. I mentioned about recovery from COVID. Well, look, that's, that's in some cases has been perhaps a bit slower. And if we get uh, more outbreaks or we get, uh, you know, new variants are discovered, then that potentially could uh, impact the sector. And potentially there's some ongoing or permanent ongoing costs of just looking after patients better and, and looking after staff better to work to work in this market. Uh, COVID-19 variants, they could stymie, elective surgery. And of course, the sector is particularly dependent on uh, government expenditure. And that's a real positive because governments across the world are spending more money uh, on healthcare each year. But it also carries risk with that in terms of government regulation uh, and sometimes the, the, the government sector wanting to interfere a little bit. And that of course, can, it could be an impact or have a negative impact on particular companies. A big pharma in, in, the, in the United States is one area that uh, particularly is mentioned in terms of the risk of government regulation.
0: Okay, let's have a look at what the brokers are saying about some of the well-known Australian healthcare companies.
3: Well, on this table, Peter, we've probably got our eight top healthcare companies listed roughly in terms of, uh, of market size. CSL is the biggest by quite a long way. You can see in the third and the fourth column, the forecast from the major brokers. So the average rise or fall is essentially a measure of how the consensus of the major brokers in terms of their price targets. So in the case of CSL, uh, the brokers on consensus think that that their target price is 19.5% higher than the current uh, trading price of CSL. So they actually think there's quite a bit of upside in CSL. And one of the brokers, that's the fourth column, uh, shows is actually calling six, at the target price, his or her target price is 26.5% away, higher than, than the current ASX price. And then in the final column, you've got the number of brokers who are positive or negative. In the case of CSL, all of the five brokers are positive. That's effectively, they've got a buy recommendation on the stock. Yeah. Overall, when you look at that, you see that, uh, you know the brokers are pretty positive on the individual companies and positive on the sector as well peter so i think there's some value there in a number of our terrific leading healthcare companies yeah
0: paul and i think you know listening to your story if you put together the demographic trend that encourages people to use healthcare a lot more then you throw in the fact that healthcare has been out of favor for uh, at least a couple of years the rotation effect ultimately tells me that if I invest today, I might have to wait a while, but eventually this sector will will deliver because it's basically a a sector that we have to use. Yes, Peter. I mean, I
3: think that uh, we've got some great healthcare companies. We are a global leader in terms of some of these companies Mm. uh, and the different parts of the market they participate in. I think there's got to be value there, Peter, and we know at some stage the market's going to come back to healthcare in a big way. Exactly right.
0: And that's the show for tonight. There's no show next Monday because it's a public holiday. So we'll uh, look forward to seeing you next Thursday, but we'll have a bumper show where we'll try and pinpoint a lot more stocks that you'd be interested in considering for your portfolio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Switzer.